This is Kate Beckinsale. You're listening to Beckinsale. There must be a guy like me on every podcast in America. I'm the guy who can over-research things. Cryptics, a bag of cereal if that's your thing, an old commercial jingle for a bottle of Pepsi. Dang near anything within reason. So when Nicole D. Hale came to me in 2021 and asked me to talk about Stephen King, I told her, no problem. <laughs> nice. Thank you for joining us, Morgan Freeman. That was great. Thank wow. you. Uh, welcome to Excel. I'm Joel. I'm Kent. And I'm Zach. We'd like to thank you for listening to our last show, our uh, musical memory of concerts show. Yeah, it's real fun. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to so many listeners who came out and, and responded. They like it was uh, all these people putting out lists and experiences, experiences, and honestly, like, hey, I was at that show. I was at that show. Yeah, kind of strange. Yeah, like Shane Hyatt says, I was at the X ninety six Bash show yes. in two thousand two, mm-hmm. and yes, that thing that Goldfinger did was so bad. Yes, it was. <laughs> and I saw the girl with the eye thing. <laughs> I, and if he had a chance, he'd go see the Killers. Why were we all friends back then? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so many examples of this throughout. It just goes to show, like. It's a gathering place. Yes. And then you can later on go, oh, yeah, I was at, the, I mean, Kent, you and I have attended multiple concerts and not even really know. friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then I want to give a big shout out to Ryan Farron, who noticed a little Easter egg in the image. He says, I just noticed the creepy person over Kenny 3DD's right shoulder. Is that the Scream Queen? Oh, wait, never mind. That's the girl who got hurt in the mash on the <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Why yeah. do we keep bringing up the eye thing? Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the happy stuff we talked about. <laughs> Multiple people did. But yeah, again, just thank you so much, listener, for just coming out. I would really recommend jump onto that social media, comment if you'd like, but also, you know, go look at the other lists. I can guarantee that somebody in the comment section attended a concert that you also did. Most you, likely. Yeah. And it's just, there's been so much overlap. It's been crazy. So thank you everyone for playing. And I want to thank you guys for your list for passwords. Yeah. Oh, sh- Wait, who's that? <laughs> so who's that? What? 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 Huh? That's right. We have a guest here in the baking game with us. Nicole D. Hale. Hey, Nicole. Hi. It's funny Welcome how I can never just say Nicole. It's like <laughs> yeah. I have to say Nicole D. Hale. Well, okay. Funny thing. I lived in a very, very, very small town. There was another Nicole Hale that lived right around the corner for me for a couple of years. So that's why I have to put the D in there. Oh. It couldn't be Nikki at all. Had to be I'm, Nicole. I'm not a Nikki. Do I look like a Nikki? You could be. She, she, she looks Nikki. like a Nicole DKL. Go Knights Go. Go Knights Go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she's a, she's I'm, a member. Right now I'm Nick Nack Paddywhack. Yeah. Nick yes, Nack Forty Wax. Yes. I'm sorry. Wow. So. Uh, she is a patron <laughs> of Bacon Sales. She's on the Bacon Council. And we, we uh, thank you for being here. We appreciate well, your patronage. And we like having you around. Oh, I'll just stick here. Um, we I'll, also, I'll take Cruise and we'll just. Cruise. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, we ha- speaking of patrons, we have a patron upgrade I'd like to talk about. Nice. Hey. Uh, Do tell. Rocky and Steph have oh. upped their patronage. Oh, didn't they just join? They they were no they they were they've been tier one uh, for a while now. Oh, yes. they decided to become else. I am the listener tier. So they Whoa. will have their oh, yeah. they're gonna get the That's shout out at the end of each show. They get some merch. And they get to request one show topic and possibly even join us on the episode. How Yay. fun. They're um, great. Yeah, I've had some uh, interaction with them recently. Uh, they're friends of the Crumps, and uh, really just seem like really nice people mm-hmm. from everything I've been talking to them about. And uh, they just got a, a, a Baconception shirt, I believe. Oh, awesome. Nice. I just I remember bought one right. too. I yeah. need one of those as well. <laughs> and more t-shirts coming, I promise. We've been saying it for a long time, but it's real this time. More <laughs> t-shirts it, coming. It? <laughs> uh, yes, but also, uh, listener, we want to talk about something that uh, there's a special thing Oh, yeah. Up. We have something to announce, kind of. Yes. Uh, well, not Joel, entirely. Are you pregnant? Not again. <laughs> I'm good. But I am getting married. We're That's getting fun. close to the spooky season, yeah. everybody. Yeah, we are. Our favorite time of the year where everything's going to be a little bit uh, spookier here in the Bacon Cave. We've already put some appendages up here. I'm as sorry, we mentioned I'm on the, 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 the pick of it. 
But uh, we are going to be starting to talk about Halloween-related things. Not necessarily horror, scary all the time, but it's going to be Halloween-related things for the, probably the next four episodes we're or so. We're sorry and you're welcome. Uh, it's one of our favorite times of the year, and we're going to be doing a giveaway as well. So it's an exciting time for us, and it's going to be an exciting time for you. We hope you'll join us for the October season because we always have a great time. Yes. But that's not what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today, Zach? The complete works of Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Was that Vincent Price? Wait a minute. <laughs> You're telling me that last oh. year, Nicole came on the show just before October and did a cryptid show, which was kind of Halloween-ish. And this year, Nicole's joining us on a show just before October and also an episode that is kind of Halloween-ish. More like Nicole Sneak Hale. <laughs> That's yes. me. It's almost like you guys really love Halloween. I love Halloween. I huh. love for Halloween. We only got four episodes. We want to get one more in there, please. I've been planning my costume for five months now. Although, guys, I also found a pattern. I know patterns are a little bit creepy, especially around this time of year. But two shows ago, we talked about princes. The last show, we talked about queen quite a bit. And this show, we're talking about a king. Oh, nice. Whoa. Right? <laughs> Next week, we'll talk Joker. Oh, yeah. There you go. Know. You can throw him out of the deck. It's yeah, fine. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's kind of eerie. Yeah. But yes, this is uh, something, a subject that Kent and Nicole are, we're quite passionate about. Are pretty well versed in. Yes. Uh, I hope so. And I hope we can communicate that because what we're going to try to do is just summarize everything Stephen King into uh, an hour and 36 minutes. Right? I'm going to time it right now. An hour and 36 minutes. Mm. I'll do that. Please bless. Less, less. Because there are podcasts dedicated to Stephen King himself, and in each book we'll get an episode, but we are going to try to basically just say, hey, do you know this author at all, or are you creeped out by him? Here's a like a briefer course on this mm. one. Should we should we get say there might be spoilers? Yeah, we're gonna throw, but we will announce before every spoiler. Mm-hmm. We there's will some, talk about and there's the some law. things I don't think we will spoil. It's like those those uh, twists you just want to hold on to and let yeah. people enjoy. And I apologize in advance if I get a little excited. It might. Be a little gory. <laughs> Wait, when you get excited, it gets gory? What's well, going to happen? Well, when I'm talking about Stephen King, there's some really good parts. Joel's safe over there on the other side of the table. <laughs> You're in swinging range. <laughs> Put down the sledgehammer. Please. Hey. Yeah. Um, Jeez. But, I forgot my sledgehammer. Uh, Kent, Nicole, Zach, myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can I, say Joel. I would like to know your level of kingness when it comes to Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you at? What's your experience with Stephen King? Like, Give us a little bit of background. I'm going to guess Zach has the least amount of King knowledge. Oh, I read a lot of his books. Say Cheese and Die. That's uh, not. <laughs> that's Goosebumps. Oh, then I have no experience. That's R.L. Stein. <laughs> They're probably friends. Yeah. But, uh, I, I can, actually, I'll say this. I probably have seen multiple Stephen King movies without necessarily knowing their Stephen King properties. Yes. So I've looked at the list and went, well, oh. That's surprising. You watched them and you said, this isn't very good. Oh, it's a Stephen King. Yeah, why, why is this movie so mediocre? Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, there's movies that I've seen that, you know, I go, wow, this is a really good movie. And then I find out that Stephen King hates it. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's like it wasn't true to his his book. So I, that's. Oh, my gosh. I've, there's oh, yeah, very, <laughs> very little connection, honestly, to like knowing about Stephen King. So. Well, and for me, I, I'm being a fan of horror. I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies, like probably doing this research for this episode more than I realized. I would say you grew up in the golden time where it was post a lot of his early adaptations. Yes. But in the 90s, there were so many TV miniseries based on Stephen King books. Yes. And and even in the 80, late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. there was a lot of Stephen King stuff happening. And so I've seen a lot of the movies, but I have not read a single book. Why not? I could tell you why not. No, please do. Because I tried to ring 
read a single book and it was quite profane. Wait, you, just one book in the world? Well, no. I, or I, a Stephen King book? Stephen, okay. I've, never, I've never read a book in <laughs> my life. Book, do you remember which book it was? Uh, it. Oh. oh. Um, well. Um. And then I, I tried to read, oh, what was another one? There was another one where I, I picked it up and kind of just started flipping through it and saw a couple other words that I was like, ah, I'm not happy with that. Yeah, I get it. And so fairly profane in his writing, fairly graphic in, in his in his writing in regards to uh, Sisanuti and to gore. violence and yeah. gore. The, the movies I watch, no. And so I think I, I kind of watch the movies. I watch them edited a lot of times. It, tame it down a bit. So yeah. I, that's why I haven't read any of the books, honestly. Yeah, I think you and I grew up much the same, watching this stuff on TV, getting nightmares of stuff that we really shouldn't be watching at 10 years old. Yes. But then again, we were. <laughs> exactly. And we will talk about them during the show. Yes. And so I had a, a decent education in King adaptations. But then I always avoided the books until I was probably in my 20s. Because I always thought in my teen years, like, those books are probably really rated R. Like, they're really explicit. And I always kind of thought, I don't even want to mess with it. I don't want the nightmares. But then in my 20s, I'm like, I want the nightmares. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I said, I'm going to try to read some King. And then I was actually kind of disappointed with... Because they... They're not quite as scary as you would imagine. Well, we kind of talked about this before, but Mm -hmm. I I just... Stephen King is one of those writers where I'm like, he has an idea and then he just keeps building on it and it gets weirder as it gets built on. So it's like... Because he doesn't plan a hit. He's like, there's this town. It's a small town. It's in Maine. And in this town, (laughs) these people start getting killed because there's a killer. And then there's also someone in the town. You know, I'm like, okay, this is fine. And he's like, and there's also someone in the town who's psychic. And I'm like... All right, fine. And he's like, and the psychic has a connection to a giant sea turtle that's holding up the entire earth. And I'm like, wait, okay, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> he does that with every book where he keeps building and all of a sudden it's like, where, where are you going with this? So I watch the movies and the movies are these really boiled down version of his ideas. Because then I read the Wikipedia yeah. summaries of his books and I'm like, well, that possession didn't happen in this movie, and, uh-huh. and that demon alien is not in this movie. They're all over the place. Demon alien. I know which. I see. I know which books he's talking about. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm being vague on purpose. So yeah, sorry to interrupt, but it's just every time I, you said the books, you were a little disappointed. Yeah, I kind of read the summaries of the books, and I'm like, well, that's just weird. Yeah. For example, it you expect it to be about a clown, a supernatural clown, but that is not what this clown is whatsoever. Yes. But we can talk about that a little bit later in the show. But Nicole. What's yes. your history with Stephen King? I remember my first Stephen King book because there was an assignment we had to do. We had to read a book about dogs. Uh, was this just, in a stage crew? Like what what no, class I gives was, you an assignment about Stephen King? <laughs> no, that's the that's the thing. So I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, this is juvie I, then. I, I was just like, well, I, I want something a little more serious, you know. And so I went to the local library and I saw this. I saw it was in the adults, the, the adult reader section. I was yes. like, oh, there's a picture of a dog. Uh, I'll go get it. Man's best friend. Yeah. You know, old just, Yeller is a book too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's where the red friend grows. Yes. Big Ben, a little lamb. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> so, so, and I'm just like, okay, well, I needed a story. Well, I think it was, a, we had to do a story about an animal. And like, oh, there's one about a dog. Well, I could do that. Uh, and Cujo was his name. Cujo. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, my eyes were open to a lot of different things. Like you said, there's like, I don't even know if my mom wants me to read this. Yeah, <laughs> you felt a little dirty, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's well, intense. It's like I said to you guys earlier, I was like, hey, I was joking around. I'm like, hey, Ken, what's that? What's that movie or, of Stephen King that has like the the abusive parent mm-hmm. and like adultery? And yep. you're like, all of them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that's right. That's Stephen right. Stephen King has a lot of tropes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I will say in the positive here about his books 
is the movies don't do this as much. But one thing I, I respect and, and kind of admire, even though it's a little it's very much out there, is how he kind of weaves the books together, even in just passing reference. But like, for example, Cujo, we just brought that up. In the movie, it's just a, a, a rabid dog. Mm-hmm. But in the book, apparently there's some connection to the dog possibly being possessed by a character that was in another book yeah. or something like that. And I'm like, he does that all the time where he'll bring these characters in. So much like as we know the popular MCU, there is a KCU. It is the mm-hmm. King Connected Universe. Mm-hmm. And he came up with this parallel universe, which became, I would say, his most popular work. And which we'll get into that mm-hmm. in the middle of the show. I know some people are, you know, really excited for that. You guys won't even care. That's the whole point. I think you've already brought it up on the show like seven times. Uh, at least seven times. <laughs> yes. Yes, he will pull characters, and obviously almost every town is from Maine as well. Yes. Mostly Castle dairy. Rock. Yeah, exactly. Dairy. And these characters will combine to the point where Hulu even made a two season series based on the connected Stephen mm-hmm. King stories. So it's really fun. It, there's a payoff when you're reading a book and you're like okay, this is kind of dry. And then you're like, oh, wait, I just, I read about a character I loved in, in, in another book and it's rewarding as a fan. Mm-hmm. So there, there's flow charts out there that you're just like, wow. Well, and, and we've kind of made the joke on Bacon Cell before mm-hmm. about how Stephen King is the king of setups. Yes. Like he builds this cool mythology and starts building it up, but doesn't stick the landing most of the time. Where he gets to the end and it's kind of like, wait, he's what? He's not known for it. He even, even in his book on writing, he even talks about his struggle with the endings. Yeah. Uh, well, like, I don't know if we'll get into it, but like The Mist, mm-hmm. he really didn't have an ending for The Mist. And so when The Mist came out and they the actually, yeah, when the... Uh, the story, it's a short story. Yeah, oh, it's a oh, short story. Oh, you're talking about when the movie came yeah, out. Yeah, so there was a short story. But when the movie came out, he actually enjoyed the ending better from the movie than what he came up with. Okay. They call him a pantser. He's not a what? He's not a plotter. He doesn't come up with an outline for any of his stories. He goes by the seat of his pants. He doesn't <laughs> pants people at classic skating. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> it's all about the destination. It's all about the characters because his characters are phenomenal. And then at about like he's like, "Oh, I kind of want to be done with this book. Let's throw in an explosion and the movie will be or the book will be over." Mm-hmm. And it becomes like uh, a lot like Mm, sorry, Doctor Who, where there's like a deus ex machina. Yes. Sometimes quite literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so let's talk about the man, yes. the myth, the legend, Stephen King. So Stephen Edwin King was born on September 21st, 1947. So he's published 63 novels. He's written 200 short stories and five nonfiction books. And more films have been adapted from his novels than any other author. And he's primarily known for horror, but that's not all he does. Yeah. Like they, they call him the king of horror. Exactly. Yeah, I would say his most notable works aren't actually horror stories. I would say that's true. In fact, you might be surprised, listener, when we talk about those movies, what movies are actually his. Yeah. So he was born to Donald and Nellie Ruth King, but his dad, Donald, was not a super great guy. He actually left when Stephen was two years old. And so the mom raised Stephen and his older brother, David, on her own. Explain some storylines. Oh, well, there's even more in his past that goes into that. So as a kid, he actually witnessed one of his friends get struck by a train and die. That sounds like a a movie I know of his. Right. Uh, But he actually claims that he has no memory of the event. He kind of just walked home in a daze and then was told about it later. Like, are you okay? He's like, why? What happened? Wow. Even though it does come into play, obviously, in some of his stories. So when he was a kid, he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do, and he found a paperback book of short stories by H.P. Lovecraft, and he read the, the story, The Lurker in the Shadows, and he's like, that's it. 
I'm going to write books. He's going to be a lurker in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, kind of. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm going to write books and I'm, I'm going to focus on horror. So he started collecting EC comics. So back in the day, there was like Tales from the Crypt. Did you say EC or DC? EC comics. DC. Just making sure. So real low budget horror stories. And so we started reading those all the time and he started submitting stories to them, which they would then draw. And he won a few awards from that. Even it's like 18 years old. Like, so he already kind of found his niche. I think I got paid $35 for the first time. And he's like, this is what I want to do. Do we know what his first short story was? First published short story? Is there like, is it a classic? Do people know it? It's probably in Creep Show. Let's be honest. (laughs) It actually might Uh, be The Raft, I feel. But anyways, so he graduated from the University of Maine in 1970 with a Bachelor of Arts in English. And he met his wife there, Tabitha Spruce, in 1971. And they have three children. Sorry, this is all background stuff before we get to the good stuff. But they have three kids. Naomi, yeah, marriage and kids isn't the good right. stuff. Let's talk about the horror. <laughs> let's, let's rush to the marriage part. Uh, Naomi is his oldest daughter. Owen, his son, is also a writer. And Joe Hill doesn't go by the name King, probably to kind of disassociate himself from the King name. But, but the Joe thing is, Hill, they always collaborate. They do. And so it's just like, well, people know that you're a King's son. Right. And Joe Hill is actually a very famous author at this point he, as well. He, he does a great series called Lock and Key. It's also a notorious Fantastic. criminal here in Utah, but is it, oh, you're right, old school, yeah, yeah. So we talked about like how he's submitting stories to these magazines. Well, he started writing books, and not a lot of confidence. And actually, the fourth book he wrote was Carrie. Oh, and he started writing that book. And wait, he's wait, like, wait, what was the first book he wrote? Uh, he threw it away. All these books he what? never he never got published. Oh, his so first like, three books never got published. Well, let's go back to the Dark Tower when he was 19. Mm-hmm. He started writing. He's like, I want to be like Tolkien. He's like, I want to write an epic story like Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So he started at 19 and it didn't quite go off because he's like, I want to make this perfect. So he kind of pushed it off to his side and then he started doing other writing. So remember that 19 is a very important number. Remember the name Dark Tower because yes. it will come up again. Okay. <laughs> so then he publishes Carrie. He yeah, he publishes Carrie. It's his fourth book. So this was published in 1973. The movie was adapted in 1976. Very famous movie mm-hmm. for reasons, honestly, for the prom scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's for the last much it. 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Actually, it was Tabitha that saved Carrie yeah. from a fire. Oh, because he was going to throw it away? He was going to th- actually burn it. Oh, wow. The, from what I remember. He yeah. Was gonna, she was, he was going to yeah, burn it, Yeah, he threw it, it right? in the garbage. She's like, this oh, yeah. is no good. Well, and I, I've heard that uh, Mr. King had some issues with substance. Uh, self-admitted has some issues with substance abuse, alcoholism. It, it didn't happen until, you know, a couple years into his career, but he was addicted to pretty much everything, and it's some weird stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Well, he said that, like, Cujo, for example, mm-hmm. he doesn't even remember writing. Yep. He doesn't remember He doesn't writing. remember writing at all, because that was during that time of life when he was addicted yeah. to everything. It's severe alcoholism, but then also mm, cocaine, Xanax, mm-hmm. Valium, cold and flu medicine. Wow. Like Robitussin, mouthwash. <laughs> Maybe that. he was just congested and had good hygiene. <laughs> for about 20 years. <laughs> I've had I've, a cold that lasted that long. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it wasn't until his, like his family and friends staged an intervention, and he actually got sober in the late 80s. He had a major accident in 1999. And we'll get there. Yeah. Oh, we're not he, there yet? Yeah, no. he, he got addicted to opioids again, but he... Oh. It was what two years later? I think it was. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about some of his earlier books, even though on this episode we will be talking about our favorite works, like recommended books, our least favorite adaptations, and our favorite adaptations as Film well. Adaptations. Yeah, movie adaptations. And so, but in the seventies, he was on a roll. So he did Carrie, Salem's Lot two years later, mm-hmm. The Shining two years after that, The Stand one year after that. So his seventies 
are stacked. And these are short books, right? Like these are, <laughs> these are all like, you know. How long is the stand? Do we see, know? I have got this. Now, if you want the uncut version, which Stephen King wanted. I'm all about director's cuts. Okay, director's of cut. Of books? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Unless it, it's lame is. The page hmm. it length is 1,152 pages. And if you took time to read it, it usually take about 32 hours to read it. Wow. That's straight. like one video game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're beasts. And that Those is thick it's books. I remember I was so proud when I finished the stand. I'm like, I read my first over one thousand page book. I was so excited about mm-hmm. that. That's his writing style. Like I'm kind of amazed at authors that can write a book every year. And I'm like, who's writing these books for you? Mm-hmm. But he has a method where he will write at least two thousand words a day. And he won't stop writing. Like basically it's his homework assignment. And it may be bad. But he says, I have to write. I have to be in the habit. And that's every single day. And he actually well, he does that even when he's I, not writing a book. Yeah. Yo, he's heard, always writing a book. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've heard the rumor where he actually clocks in mm-hmm. and he clocks out for lunch. And he, just like if you were at a normal Joe Blow job, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he does. He makes sure that he is on every the day. Mm-hmm. And you can see that in some of his stories, even at some parts of his career where he said, I ran out of stories like. There's some solid decades where he wasn't as good mm-hmm. or as successful. Maybe that's relative because there could be people with favorites. But he actually gave some writing advice. On Writing is a very good book to it read, by the awesome way. It is an awesome book. And the it, book is called On, on Writing. Writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Stephen it's King also on like his history as well. It's like mm-hmm. a biography, somewhat an educational thing. But he even says... I want you to do this, even though I don't do it myself. <laughs> you know? yeah. He even says, I don't follow th- these methods, but for you to make it as a writer, this is what you need to do. Yeah, he actually says read and write for four to six hours a day. Who has time to do that? Well, yeah, if you're but a he professional says, author. If you don't have the time to do that, you won't become a good writer. Mm-hmm. Ah. Kind of crazy. If you see a picture, he has a library in his basement. It, it's insane. All the books that he has read, and it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then he uses them in his own stories. Basically. I found out that he did this program where it was called Dollar Baby, and it was a thing where he would sell, not the rights, but he would allow student filmmakers or you know up-and-coming filmmakers to adapt any of his short stories for a dollar. And it was non-commercial oh, reasons. Wow, okay. like it was for film festivals it was for, and stuff like that. Because he, he wanted to, to help future film writers. Yeah, he said, I've been given so much in my life, I want to give some of it back, and this is a way for them to build the resume. And he actually Jeez. has them in his library, but I, I would love to see like these film, these art student artists, see yeah. how they adapt. I would love to well, see Well, one it. of them uh, was Frank Darabont. Yeah. He actually purchased oh, one, of his, one of his movies. He's directed some of his best movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and so that, that's why they're called Dollar Babies, because you have to at least spend some money to, to get those rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many books of Stephen King's have you read? 29. 29 books? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't ever, I haven't checked it out. I think I would probably have read about 75%. Wow. Well, okay. I and they're say. so long. They are. But I have a lot of time at work. He, he's a little bit <laughs> like listen. Charles Dickens where he gets really into the details mm-hmm. about things rather than the plot itself. Right. He eventually gets there and they can be really good stories, but each book could have a third cut from it and be fine. So in 1999, <laughs> there's a really pivotal moment in mm-hmm. his life and almost caused his death. So this is the infamous car accident that he was involved in. Like, Joel, have you ever heard about this at yes, all? Yes, I have. Yes. Yeah. And, and it was something like from one of his stories. It's just like, how did this happen? Well, and it kind of became one of his stories mm-hmm. as well. So he's out for a walk in uh, June of 1999 along Main State Route 5, and there's a minivan just coming down, and this guy got distracted. He said there was a dog moving around in the back of his minivan, and Stephen King was on the side of the road. 
He got hit by this van and he flew about 14 feet into Wait, a depression. He wasn't, he wasn't even in a car? No, he's going yep. for a walk. I thought he's he was in a car accident. Side of the road. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he feels that it was very, very malicious of this driver or there were bigger reasons for him getting hit by this car. Mm. I mean, he pressed charges. The driver, you know, pled guilty to a lesser charge. Still had to do like six months in jail. Life suspended for a year. Like it was heavy. Uh, he went after this guy pretty hard. Well, yeah. his his whole leg had to be like restructured. I mean, he had an outside metal cast that was pinned to his hip. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. It, I mean, he, it was close to to not surviving at that point. So. And it was it's actually at this point like it's kind of a worry because once you go, undergo those surgeries, you're going to be put on some medication. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's avoided that for so long. And it kind of brought him back to this kind of dark place. But actually, Stephen King and his lawyer, they purchased the van that hit him for fifteen hundred dollars. And they say or I think the lawyer says it's so that no one on eBay buys the van that hit Stephen King. Oh. Stephen King bought it so he could destroy the van. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And he was actually mad. He's like, I want to keep it in my house. I'm going to destroy this. Like, and I've heard urban legends that he actually did keep the van because they they said it was destroyed. I've heard that he's kept it. I heard he writes in the van. He He probably does. I wouldn't be surprised to tell you the truth. (laughs) This accident, I would say, changed his writing. I don't know for the better or worse. Uh, If this is going to sound morbid, and I apologize, but it's a Stephen King show. If he were to have perished, and at 1999. What would we have missed out on? The last two books of the Dark Tower. <laughs> it's basically his Game of Thrones, his Lord of the Rings. Some might say, then that would be fine. A made-up no. ending might be better than the actual ending. We have a debate about that. Yeah, I, I'm sure we do. <laughs> in, fa- in fact, maybe if you guys don't mind, we can jump right into the the weeds of the Dark Tower. Okay. But we're going to try to make it relevant for everyone out there. I swear you've talked about this on Bake Itself before, but I could uh, We have I reviewed the what... Dark Tower movie back in 2017. Okay, that's probably why, because I was like, I, I couldn't remember why we talked about this. That's the very accurate one with Idris Elba yeah. and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> ex- I heard it was so, like a shot-for-shot shot yeah. remake of the Stop book. Stop that yeah. right now. You know what? Matthew McConaughey, I thought, was perfectly cast as the Man in Black. I thought, He's okay. fine. The script he, is horrible. He was yeah. fine. Yeah. He, he, <sighs> so I this don't... is eight novels. <laughs> 4,250 pages altogether. You say eight novels? Eight mm-hmm. novels. Okay. And they were published all throughout his career. The first one, honestly, is just this Western of and the it's main the character. Out of all of them. Yeah, his, the okay. main character, it's a cowboy, and his name is Roland DeShane. Mm-hmm. Elba. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> basically, it's Clint Eastwood back in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Oh, okay. That is a writer he, with no name kind yes. of thing? Yes. He bases the character off of him, and he's a gunslinger, but this world. Oh, and it seems like the Old West. This world is not our world. The, the world has moved on. It's, it's a post-apocalyptic world. And gunslingers, even, even though he looks like a cowboy, are knights of that world. I always compare it to, like, let's say Star Wars. It's in a future galaxy far, far away. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow it's in the future, but it looks like it's desolate, so it almost feels like it's in the past. Now, uh, if I may, in the movie, it's a whole thing where that's a different dimension from our world. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. ha- the same as the books? Yes. yes. Or is it our world that has yes. become decimated? Imagine there was a door in the middle of the woods, and it you know you could look at both sides of the door, but you opened it, and all of a sudden you saw a desert in front of you. A Beetlejuice thing, okay, for yeah, example. Yeah, that Wars. would be that parallel world that you were seeing that Roland is traveling in. I think that was in. Saturn, but okay. Yeah, oh, was it Saturn? <laughs> he said, I think he said Saturn. In Beetlejuice? I'm pretty sure he's With sandworms? Saturn. I'm pretty sure. There are sandworms in Saturn. I'm going to check. On Saturn. I'll check. Don't <laughs> okay. worry. Well, the, the Beetlejuice thing show. is with Dark Tower, it's so hard to summarize it because when I tell people, I'm like, if you like a genre, it's in here. It's a Western. 
it's sci-fi it's fantasy it's got romance it's got definitely horror elements in it it's got a little bit of everything and it's a big road trip story Mm -hmm. this is without trying to take a ring to mount doom to destroy it Mm -hmm. it is his story of a fellowship or quartet as they're called in the book of these this uh, quartet it's a it's a group of friends linked by destiny okay so ka is what binds everyone together Quartet is the the singular group that is bounded to the Ka. Yes. Okay. But I want to talk about some of the connections that King takes from other popular works. For example. We're going to try to do this here. (laughs) In book five, spoiler alert, five, six, seven, eight, if you care about Wolves of the Kala, it feels like Magnificent Seven. But the things, the, the creatures that are attacking the town and always kind of take it over every year or so, they look like Doctor Doom but they have lightsabers and snitches. And the snitches are exploding. They're called snitches in the book, but they're exploding snitches. So they'll throw them at you and your head will explode, torn flesh and everything. Wow. But they also have a lot of Wizard of the Oz yes. references as well. Yeah, for example, they have to wear the ruby slippers to get mm-hmm. past the Emerald City. Yeah. It's- You're sure he's not doing substance abuse now? <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. Because that's just weird. So he takes from popular culture, but also this is the series that ties all of his books together. There is uh, a main character that joins the group in book five, the one mm-hmm. we just discussed, and it's Father Callahan, who is a main character in Salem's Lot. Okay. Basically stumbles into this desert world but, and uh, joins the fellowship. I guess my question is, this all comes fairly later in his career, and uh-huh. then he's tying it all together. Do you think this is a plan all along, or do you think it's like, eh, this will be fun? It's mm, a little bit of everything. Okay. There's some early references to the Dark Tower, but in some fantasy books that he wrote early on, and then stuff that creeps back around even to books. Now that the Dark Tower has finished, it's done. He's still making reference that all roads lead to the tower. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, for example, like, and this is early on, The Shining was published well before the first Dark Tower book, and he uses the, the shine, right? Which right. is the ability that you have. But there's a boy that's in the fellowship named Jake. He and Danny Torrance are actually. Spider-Verse characters together. They're basically the same person in a different parallel universe. Ah. The stand is very pivotal. People know the stand is his hmm, singular over thousand page epic. It's a big... Is that his longest book? Yeah. I believe so. Yes, it is. It's, you know, the basic good versus evil book, so... The uh, antagonist in the stand, his name is Randall Flack. If you've seen the TV episode or the TV show, it's kind of the devil. Yes. Right. And Randall Flagg is also a initial antagonist in the Dark Tower series. So you can like hate him twice. And it's like I said, it's rewarding for fans because if you're like, oh, I hated to see that character, quote unquote, die in this story. He shows up in another story. And it is a very, very good villain. See, I, I, I have completed the Dark Tower 13 times now. And the whole it, series? Hold on, hold on. Mm-hmm. 4,250 pages. Well, okay. I've read it twice. I've listened to it. So Still, every, every That's time. Every, every year at work, I'm working Christmas at the post office. It is drilling work. So that's what I do because most podcasts are on hiatus. You know, everyone's off on Christmas. And so I'm like, this is my thing I do every year. I listen to the Dark Tower series. And every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, there's that reference. <laughs> there's a new reference. So because you've read it so many times, I'm going to ask you to synopsize okay. the Dark Tower series. Wait, are we doing the Dark Tower show or are we doing the Stephen King show? But this <laughs> is you spent the last 48 minutes. It's, it's one of on the Dark same. Tower. No. So Roland the Gunslinger 
What is his goal? Who's the good guy? Why is it called the Dark Tower? What is his goal throughout the series, Nicole? Okay, his whole journey is to get to the Dark Tower because he feels like... A, li- a literal Dark Tower. A dark like tower. Isengard kind of stuff. Yes. And it looks just like that. Okay. Yeah. And so his whole journey is to try to find this Dark Tower because he, if he finds the tower, he's going to find all the answers to what is going on, what's, what's happening, where are these other worlds coming from. It's the answer to... It's the be-all of be-all. So, it's the Wizard of Oz. N- like that's what she's going there to get the answers, right? Like yeah. they're going to the Emerald City yes. to find the yeah. wizard. Yeah, that's actually, precisely. That's actually yeah. And so, why he's on this journey, he picks up his quartet. So in his each, his group, his fellowship. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to like explain mm-hmm. it, imagine like you can see the Tower of Isengard, Joel, uh-huh. and it looks like it's 50 miles away. Okay, and it's you're not. driving towards it. But it always stays that it same distance stays, away. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's frustrating. And you read these books and you're like, you've been traveling for so long. These books just keep going until Stephen King wants to get there. And once again, great characters. Mm-hmm. It's rewarding, I think, for someone like Nicole. I've only ever read it once. I don't know if I could go back to it having done it once. So the ending was not satisfying to you, which kind of tainted the rest of the I series. I mean, it's over 4,000 yeah. pages. Before we get into the movies, which... I think most people listening have seen more than a handful of movies, good or bad. Right. But I do want to just, because he's an author, books are the theme. I do want to get, and and Nicole, we can go back and forth, nope. the five recommendations. All right. Maybe your favorite books of Stephen King. And I didn't want to go worst on this one because there are bad ones out there, but like, why waste your time talking about these? Sure. So, Nicole, this what's This isn't your... bacon sale. <laughs> but we'll talk about five <laughs> least favorite movies yeah, for sure. Definitely. So, Nicole, what's your fifth favorite book? Salem's Lot. Okay, why? Um, uh, what's it about? Yes, a brief synopsis. Uh, vampires taking over a town. There you go. Yeah. There you go, basically. And how know. many pages it takes for him to say that? About 800. <laughs> okay, yeah. Salem's I mean, because it plays on the fear of... I grew up in a small town, and so... It, he just plays on the fear of everyone knowing everyone. And so you're trusting, but you're like, do I trust this person? Is this person going to be the one that turns on me? It seems like most of his novels take place in a small yeah. town. Like he doesn't. So I think yeah. that's probably why I write like what you know, so, basically. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why I like it so much. Cause I could relate. To, I mean, I grew up in a town of less than 3000 people. And out how many demons m- arrived in your town? A lot. <laughs> 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 so I think that's why I relate to it. So yeah, Salem's lot. Okay, my fifth favorite is The Stand, which we've talked about a little bit, but real quick, a deadly virus is released across the world, killing 99.4% of the population. The survivors either dream of a holy figure, Mother Abigail, or an evil figure, Randall Flagg, and these factions prepare for war. It's Last Man on Earth, right? Kind like of. TV series with yeah. Will Forte? Except for Molly Ringwald's in there. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's, a t- that's the movie. She's this, not the The book. Stand is a, it's his epic. The way it describes, I mean... It's More so of, than The Dark Tower. Uh, it is one book that you only have to okay. read. Uh, the ending is atrocious, but the book itself has amazing characters and this, this really cool setup for a war. Okay, my number four is Different Seasons because I think it has... The short story novel. It, it, well, it has four stories that I think are all really good. Of course, one of them is Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me. Okay, what's your number four? Number four is It. This book is overly long. But it's scary from start to finish. Very descriptive. Joel, I, there's a reason you stopped reading this one. Yeah. It's because it starts off with an attack and it's kids being attacked. Yeah. And it's horrible. Very gory. We all know it based on a popular conscience, I think, at this yeah, point. Yeah, everyone knows Pennywise at this point. Yeah, but it's... One of the it's, hardest movies to Google, by the way. Because mm-hmm. you it, type in it, it and yeah. it's just like, Google's like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> and then if you put it, it like, like IT, need IT yeah. help? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> IT crowd? The it crowd. <laughs> yeah. The ending of it in the book is slightly better 
than in either of the movies. The one with the turtle is yeah. slightly better than the one with the spider. Correct. Okay. Because it sure. explains it and it takes 300 pages to explain the end. <laughs> All right, Nicole, what's your number three? I have number three as The Shining. Okay. I love this Brief book. synopsis. Oh, so um, basically a family is taking care of a hotel that is haunted. Why it, it closes down for the winter. So they're okay. the only ones that are in this hotel. And so they th- yeah. Jack thinks it's a great time to work on his novel and he goes crazy. Yeah, but, you know, it's all work for him. Oh, uh, yeah. No play for him. No play. Uh, the reason why I like this one is the part, I, it's not in the original movie. There's a part in there talking about the topiaries coming to life. That really tripped me out. I don't know. Did what, it? Okay. Yeah, it's because he Topiaries just, meaning plants. Yeah. Like maize. Instead yeah. of the maize. It's the plant creatures. It's the plant creatures. They're dressed. They're they're like lions, and you could the way he talks about them crunching on the snow. You you could hear them coming, for for Danny, and I'm just like for some reason his description of that part is so amazing. That's one thing about, and we'll get this more in the movies maybe, but but love them or hate in the movies, there's always something memorable, something that mm-hmm. sticks with you out of them, some visual yeah. or, or description. even if the script is bad, the acting is bad. There's something good there. Yeah. All right, my third favorite book is the fourth book in the Dark Tower series. It's called Wizard and Glass. You're picking one book out of a series yes. as your number three? Yes. And if you're only going to read one book in the series, probably this one. This is a flashback book. Can you stand alone? It's standalone. It's, it's, so it, it's it starts off and it says, here's where we were in our journey. And then about 50 pages in, it's like, now let's visit young Roland Deschain. Why is he, he like he his is? His two best friends, basically. They go to this town, this old country town. And he falls in love. And it's a beautiful love story. It really is. And Stephen King's writing beautiful love stories? Somehow. No, it really is. I've it never read a beautiful Stephen I've never seen a beautiful I, Stephen King love story. This one is a recommendation really for that reason. Pet Cemetery, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no fair. No fair. Anyways, Nicole, what's your number two? Misery. Ah. Okay. I've actually ah. never read Misery, the book. Oh, I've read it. Is it a novella I'm a, or I'm, a novel? No, it's I'm a, a book. I'm okay. its number one fan. It's a book. You're here. It's number I'm one. I'm number one fan. <laughs> no, mi- misery. Uh, misery. Uh, synopsis, synopsis for those. So a, an author gets mm. trapped off to the side, and he, his number one fan helps to save him and brings him back to health. Yes. Uh, health. Okay. Health. Uh-huh. Yes. That's that's what they call it. So if you guys haven't seen the movie, wow. in the book, there's that's a, a John Der Lawnmower scene. Oh, it's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whew. All right, my number two is called, and this is kind of a hipster one, but that's what I do. It's called The Talisman. <gasps> I love The Talisman. Uh, this is better than any of the Dark Tower novels, but it's directly tied. It's about a 12-year-old uh-huh. named Jack Sawyer. He's trying to save his mom dying from cancer, and in order to do that, he needs to find the talisman, and he has to go to the other world that we've talked about in the Dark Tower series in order to do that. And it's a short book. It's maybe 400 pages. Short for Stephen <laughs> King. Short, short. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's great because it is it is standalone, Joel. It does reference the Dark Tower a lot, but you don't need this to have read the Dark Tower, Dark Tower. Right in between. Uh, my number one, well, I guess it, it's Dark Tower series. <laughs> uh, as a collection. Yes. Out of all of them, I think my favorite is probably the seventh book. When it all comes to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Deathly Hallows. Yeah. <laughs> they split into two parts, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, I laughed. I cried. I mean, I was excited and frustrated all at the same time with this book. And it's just like, here we go. This is the end. I mean, well, first of all, we didn't know if we were going to get this book because, again, his accident, he was almost dead. And you're just like, am I going to be able to know what the end of this series is? <laughs> so, yeah. oh, and I feel bad for his family, too. But well, yeah, yeah. Not me. <laughs> Write more. Uh, his best book is not a horror novel. It's called 112263. 
And this is about a time traveler who attempts to prevent the assassination of JFK. Which happened on November 22nd, 1963. Exactly. Mm -hmm. There's also a TV series? Yeah, there's a miniseries starring James Franco. it It obviously shortens it way too much. James Franco, he's fine in it, but he is not the character I envisioned. And this book is actually a beautiful love story. Very, not even really any horror elements. Yeah, but is it a beautiful love story or is one of them a telepath? There's a telepath in there for I sure. I knew it. <laughs> Maybe time tries to attack the main character for trying to change time. Time does? Like a Langolier? Kind of like. Oh no, my gosh. Mm, no. No reference to Langoliers in this one. But this is a beautiful novel and it nails the ending. Well, it's which is of, rare for Stephen King. It's one of those King. books that make you think. You're like, oh, what if? Like, what if this did happen? What? Yeah. It's an amazing book. It's really good. Okay. Okay. So we've teased this enough. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, most of this episode has been like, Kent's like, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And we're here. Oh, we're here. Let's get negative. All right. Yay. <laughs> so I want to talk about our least favorite. Like, honestly, these movies are just bombs. Like, Well, it's not like best and worst, like critically. It could be our is it not? least favorite. Is it not? You're not going to agree with some of my picks. Oh, I know one of your picks, and I already yeah. don't agree. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Zach, how many of the movies have you seen? Probably, like, two. Okay. <laughs> Were they good or bad? Uh, good. Because you're not big into horror. No, not at all. I love horror. I mean, I, I've seen <laughs> The Shining, and that's quite an interesting movie. Which I'm one? Glad I watched it. The, what do you mean, which one? There is a miniseries. Oh, Zach knows on. about the miniseries in the 90s starring Steven hey, Weber. Hey, hey, we'll get there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> is a miniseries a movie? Yeah, then I've yeah. seen the movie. Made for TV movie. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Did you see the one with Jack Nicholson? Come on, of course that's the one. And do you like it or hate Get it? Get out of the weeds, nerds. <laughs> weeds. Is actually if I say the Shining, I mean King. the Shining. You We're know in the what tall I mean. grass. Okay, yeah. come on. You know Stephen King didn't care for it. Yeah, we'll Stephen- get there. <laughs> yeah, did You're you know that Stephen? Jake's part. Did you know Stephen King also apparently can't do a good ending to a novel? Exactly. So I don't really think we should trust his opinion on movies. Mm, Again, go, go read. Wizard well, Glass, truth, truth be told, whenever he uh, dips his hand in the, in the ink for the screenplay, it's not a great idea. Not. He's his ideas work best when he has minimal interference. I agreed. All right, Joel, what's your fifth least favorite Stephen King movie? The fifth worst Stephen King movie is The Mist, 2007. This stars Thomas Jane, Marcia Gay Harden, Andre Brower, yeah. uh, Captain Holt. The, the synopsis, a freak storm unleashes a, ser- a species of bloodthirsty creatures on a small town where a band of citizens hole up in a supermarket and fight for their lives. This one is rated R, but it's also on Clear Play and Bit Angel. This one was one where it had a great setup. Uh-huh. Great setup. And I love so the good. idea of how people react during a crisis. It, it's a very much a zombie type movie where these people are contained in one area and they'd be fine if they just stuck together, but people don't do that. It's a little bit like Night of the Living Dead where they're, it's yes. group thing. They're stuck together and then, you yeah. know, you uh, deviate from that, you might but die. But characters kept making stupid decisions like that I just feel like people wouldn't make, but they kept making these dumb decisions. I feel like some characters were persuasive enough the in this. CGI was a little cheesy, and then the ending. And I'm not going to spoil it, but the ending, which we already you already talked about, See, like not the, the original book ending. Have you ever it, had the wind knocked out of you? Yes. Like 37 times? Yeah, yes. that's what the ending of this is. The ending of this is, the, and I feel like it's a... I felt that kind of how I felt about mm-hmm. the ending, to the point where this made my worst list, Ken. Apparently. This would have been... 
one of the middle ones. If it weren't for this ending, <laughs> I but, praise. Uh, that's my number five is the mist. All right, my number five is the Langoliers. This yeah. was a miniseries, so two episodes, and this was in the '90s. And this, of all of his miniseries, I think this may have been the worst one. So it's uh, most of the passengers on an airplane disappear, and the remainder land the plane in a mysterious barren airport, which is the worst description because basically they're stuck in between time, and yeah. there are these meatballs from space. <laughs> At that the very come, end, that come up and they and they have sharp teeth. It's so nineties looking, and then they chew everything. It looks like if, one of those like Capri Sun commercials, it, of, like these <laughs> CGI creatures flying through the air, and they're they're eating time as it passes. So uh-huh. they they have a natural thing to do, but when you're stuck in between time. These space meatballs, they want to yes. chew you up. And Balky Bartokomus is in it. Yes, he is. Uh, Bronson Pinchot. Oh, he's a good bad guy, though. But that's just it. So even though it's a ter- I agree, Kent, this is this is one of the bad ones. Bad. But for some reason, him tearing the paper mm-hmm. like kind of just weirded me out to the point where it's stuck with me for a long time. Because he does, this one character just obsessively tears paper when he wants to relax. And he just tears, like, bits, it stayed with bits you. and bits and bits. Yeah. That and, and certain lines, too. Just like uh, him talking about trying to figure out what's going on and and how the sandwiches didn't have taste because they were out of time. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that stuck with me because I was like, that's original. You just had space meatballs. They taste delicious. Yes, they do. My number five, I actually like the movie, but I think it's a bad adaptation, is The Running Man. Oh. No, I like the movie. It's rude. But. Peak Schwarzenegger is bad? Yeah. No, like I said, I like the movie, but if you've read the story, it is nothing. Well, a little, like, 80% of it is not what happens in the story. I recommend watching uh, Cinefix does these What's the Difference uh, series. Mm-hmm. It's a YouTube channel yeah. called Cinefix. And they do these things called What's the Difference where they compare books and movies. And it, they do it in a very creative way. And it's so fun to watch. And they did one of the Running Man that I highly enjoyed. Yeah. And that's why I didn't like the adaptation. I do like the movie. And I like the story. But they just don't go together. Because in the story, he is trying to fight for his family. Arnold doesn't have a family. He's fighting for his his own freedom, you know? And like I said, I, I still love Running Man. I remember watching it with my dad when I was younger. Here, so. Here's Sub-Zero. <laughs> now, Plain Zero. <laughs> and the ending of the book, it's one of those ones that like, it sticks with you. Okay. <laughs> well, it's actually a short story, so... Joel, your fourth, le- your fourth least favorite. My fourth least favorite uh, movie adaptation is The Stand, 1994. Uh-huh. I just felt that uh, we already talked about kind of it's just a, a virus kills a bunch of the population and then there's a good leader and a bad leader and they're going to go to war. Yep. This one had like 125 speaking roles. This was four <laughs> episodes in 366 minutes and it aired in 1994 in May. But you got uh, Gary Sinise, Rob Lowe, uh, Molly Ringwald, Ray Winston, Ed Harris. Patrick Starr. Uh, Matt Frewer. <laughs> uh, M-O-O-N spells Dauber. <laughs> But it's just bad acting. Uh, filmed a lot in Utah, by the way. Like yeah. I remember, I was watching it. And I was like, "That's Union Station." Like, Actually, I just a, a lot of the the story is set in Utah and Nevada. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. But this one was nominated for like six primetime Emmy awards, and I'm like, why? Because mm-hmm. it's not that good. It really, really hasn't aged well either. So maybe if I watched it back then. As a teenager, I would have liked it more. But uh. by the way, directed by Mick Garris, uh, you guys, you guys know the Goonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he directed the making of the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I found that interesting. Uh, yeah, Stephen King actually he 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 did the screenplay for this as well. Yeah, so he had a direct influence on this, and it did not turn out well. It did not turn That's out. That's my number four. Yeah. The fourth worst for me is called Cell. This is one of his mid two thousands ones, and Stephen King. He this hate, is not the one with Jennifer Lopez. No. He hates new technology. 
he doesn't trust new technology. He has a flip phone. Yeah. And so the synopsis is when a mysterious cell phone signal causes apocalyptic chaos, an artist is determined to reunite with his young son in New England. Basically, this is when cell phones are really just taken off. Everyone's on their cell phone. And it's almost like there's a signal which causes everyone to turn into a zombie. Zombie. Mm. (laughs) And that could be cool. Except for like instead of the, you know, how different shows don't say zombies. They're They're called phoners. (laughs) <laughs> phoners? The phoners are coming to get us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you got to remember, this is, what, 600, 700-page book? Yeah, and uh, it's... Is the book good? No. No. Fans oh. hate this. So the book's bad Non-fans and the hate this. Bad. And the movie, like, it starts John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, and it is mm, horrific. I think that's 1408. Hey, this was they're, there they're when the they... Second, this the was, second time they mm-hmm. got together, and it was a bad oh, was, choice. No, mm. the, the, and the book is horrible. It, sh- it would have been good as a short story, but... Oh. Don't okay. call him phoners. <laughs> he definitely phoned it in on that one. Ah! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Zach got it. Hey, Zach. Zach's here. Zach's here. Zach's here. Hey, Zach. <laughs> I missed you. That was, that was pretty funny. I know this is going over everyone's head. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Nicole, what's your number four? Uh, it's already been mentioned. The Langoliers. Okay, Joel. What's your number three? Uh, my number three is Creep Show. 1982. Oh, that's a classic. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's so much. I, I, my review literally says Creep Show isn't creepy, it's crappy. <laughs> Is that the uh, I the, want my cake? <laughs> no, there's so there's four short stories in this. Uh, two so of good. which are adapted from uh, Stephen King short stories. Weeds and the Crate are both the his Crate short is stories. awesome. This was his screenwriting. It's, I probably love it. the, it's probably one of the better ones in, on that movie. Yeah. So he did the the screenwriting on this. Stephen King did, and he put himself in in one of, of them as a terrible actor. And then George A. Romero is the one who directed it. And you know, he's the one who did Night of the Living Dead, Night Dawn of the, of the Dead, Dead Day yeah. of the Dead, Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and There's Always Vanilla. Um, <laughs> of the Dead. Yes. But And this has like uh, Leslie Nielsen's in it, Ted Danson's in it. Like the, it's, Sam Malone? It's weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's in it. When I watched this, I was excited because I'm like, oh, it's going to be like little Tales from the Crypt thing. Yeah, anthology series. But the acting is so corny in this. It, like, you could see where the story's going. Like, they're so drawn out. Like, they're watered down. Like, they had to fill the time. And so, I like, by the time it got to the end, I just stopped caring every time. But it was so good, they made a sequel. There were two sequels. There was a Creep Show and 2 and a Creep Show 3. Creep Show 2 is actually kind of scary. I really just did not like that one. So, yeah, not a fan of Creep Show. All number right. Three, worst. My number three is the lawnmower man. Oh, that is bad. A simple man is turned into a genius through the application of computer science. Computers. And this is a revolutionary is, movie in, in uh, effects. <laughs> Early 90s, but it's all about VR. Yeah. Like, that's a bad one. Yeah. Before the nightmare of the virtual boy, Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey in one of the worst movies ever. Yeah. And it's yeah. still, it's only my number three worst Stephen King movie. It's pretty bad. But it's it's atrocious. Yeah, I don't, I think this one came from a short story as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. The short story's really odd. Yeah. Like, yeah. really odd. <laughs> All right, Nicole, what's your number three? Um, my number three is The Mangler. The Mangler? Yeah. Never is that an adaptation? I've never seen it. So, the, yeah, The Mangler, okay, it was a short story. Basically about a professional laundry presser that came to life because someone died in it. It's kind of like Audrey too. Okay. And it fed on the blood, so it started going down the street and eating people. And this is a movie? Where, where can I watch this? I want to watch it right uh, now. It's it's her number three worst. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it, is, it is horrible. <laughs> You're just like, the story was bad, and I can't believe they made it into a movie. <laughs> wow. Drug money. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, your number two. Uh, my number two is Christine, what? 1983. You hate that so much. What? Now, Zach, 
I, I got this factoid just for you. I'm so excited because it's about car. The car in the film is a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Is red. It is. Is it? And uh, that's, that's all I wanted to get for you. So sorry, That's Jack. my favorite part. <laughs> there you go. I it's love back red. in the show, I guys. I the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the, the, Stephen the, King. The synopsis is a nerdish boy buys a strange car with an evil mind of its own, and its nature starts to change to reflect it. Nerdish boy? Car? It's a possessed I love car. It. Which, wait, is that right? Did this come out the same year it was written? 1983, 1983? That Maybe. can't be right. Oh. It took like two weeks to film, probably. Oh, my gosh. It's so bad. And this is directed by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So Stephen King, good at horror. John Carpenter, good at horror. You put them together, not good at horror. <laughs> it is really, it, it's just kind of awful. Like, it's this half-baked plot, laughable acting, and all the scares are completely boring. The only thing I liked about this movie is whenever uh, Christine the car gets, like, damaged, she reconstructs. And that those effects, I was watching that going, that's pretty cool. Super cool. And then I got really bored again because it was just well, terrible. Well, Stevie King is known to not like Christine as much, so he tried to rewrite it as from a Buick 8. Did you read that one? No. Yeah. Uh, Portal no. to Alien World is the trunk. Of course. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> is he okay? I don't know. <laughs> and, and even John Carpenter said, he said, this wasn't a personal product. This was just a job. I didn't even want to do it. Paycheck. Okay. okay. Paycheck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Kent? My number two is called Dreamcatcher. So this I remember movie, that trailer. You don't like the poop weasels. The what? This called something else. I was going to synopsize oh. it, but honestly, that's kind of it. So friends on a camping trip get kind of stuck in the middle of an alien attack. By a person called Mr. Gray. But it's like an alien parasite. There is a scene in this movie where I think Jason Lee is sitting on a toilet Hello. Um, for about 10 minutes. Like Jason Lee, Jason yeah, Lee? Yeah, Jason Lee. My Jason name is Earl Lee. Jason Lee. Yes. Yeah, I like him. And it's, like, I'm like, did it, Did a 10-year-old make this movie? Honestly, like, it is the most immature movie. Just the, the fact that they dwelled on that so moment. So much. I mean. And it's an alien that you can imagine. It's kind, well, it's kind of like the scene in Dumb and Dumber. The toilet wow. scene in Dumb and Dumber. But it's an alien. But. What? Yeah. But you don't survive the toilet. It's super tacky. Been there. <laughs> <laughs> Family friendly. And if anyone's seen this movie, I'm sorry. If you haven't seen this movie, never, ever watch it. Or read the like, book. It's got a good it, cast. Like Damian Lewis is there. Thomas Jane. Morgan Freeman's in the movie as well. Morgan Freeman. Morgan yeah. Freeman. <laughs> but it, they're all wasted. It's atrocious. Hmm. <laughs> Nicole, your number two? My number two has already been mentioned. Cell. Ah, yeah. Oh. Kids, yeah. Horrible. Ah. It, is, it is bad. Huh. I was thinking it was going to be good because of 1408. I'm like, oh, it's the same cast. Here we go. I'm just, I didn't care for the book. Let's see how the movie goes. And it's just as bad. Oh. Yeah. As much as I love John Cusack, it's not John even Cusack. worse. 80s John Cusack, John early Cusack. 90s, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's true. All right, Joel, number one. My number worst has been mentioned before, but I'm going to go in a little more detail because it is The Lawnmower Man. Yeah. So this was, the the title comes from a Stephen King short story called The Lawnmower Man. But the script for the movie is not. The script for the movie was one that, I think it was called Cyber God. And then they decided they were going to attach Stephen King's name of his short story to this movie with no relation then try to tie it in together because in the movie it is this this guy who mows lawns who ends up going to virtual reality and becoming a super genius mm-hmm. and and there's a lot of um adult situations yes isn't it? <laughs> uh, but then the stephen king is about a guy who mows lawns but the lawnmower moves itself and he actually crawls behind it and eats the grass because he's actually pan mythical creature pan 
What, what like Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, kind of that thing, and it sacrifices people to. Uh, sacrifice that was people. way different. Yeah. Oh, completely different to the point where uh, Stephen King uh, sued to have his name removed from the credits because he's like, "This is not my movie." And so he ended up getting some money for that, and they said, "Okay, we won't use your name in the marketing." But then when it came on VHS, they did it again, and he got to sue again for wow. damages. Wow. So uh, yeah, this was really like such a horrible. Horrible. It's so bad. From the title card, you're watching it. It's like, in this world, there's something called virtual reality, which uses computers. And it's just, it's so dated computers. from the beginning. <laughs> the acting is terrible. Pierce Brosnan is terrible in this. It is such a terrible, terrible movie, and I hate it so much. Huh. Yeah, it's horrible. Kent, what's your number one? Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> no, Kent. This is the... That was one of my favorites as a kid. Was it really? Yes. I okay. liked it as a kid. Terrifying as a kid. If you've seen... The only thing you'll know from this movie is there is a semi-truck with the Green Goblin's face. Yeah, like a green, yeah. Like a uh, bumper yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, so a group of people try to survive when machines start to come alive and become homicidal. This stars Emilio Estevez and Pat Hingle. Huh. This is basically a movie that should have come out in the 1950s. It's like, machines attack! Yeah. But this is basically semi-trucks and tractors trying to kill people but there it, it's there's machines only, coming alive no, and trying to there's kill only people. a cast of like 10 people They're in this movie Decepticons. yeah <laughs> but there's like a very small cast this farm town honestly the best part of the movie is there's this kid on a little league team and his coach goes to get a soda and the vending machine is trying to kill the it coach. shoots out sodas at their heads and it kills the coach <laughs> by shooting sodas and k- kills the other kids can't that terrified me and as honestly, a kid. at one point this kid was trying to get away and he's on his bike he falls for some reason and then this bulldozer steamroller steamroller oh, yeah it's a steam it was roller. a steamroller goes right over him and i was like oh my goodness but this movie is the worst it's not the worst it's, it's a b movie with f level quality <laughs> I it's horrible. I disagree. It's basically like I, I they're talking to the fronts of trucks like, oh, yeah, you want to kill me? Come and get me. And then they're like they'll slowly drive forward and they'll threaten them. They drive around this this truck stop. It's terrifying. And it's like, almost like they're sharks. But they can terrifying. easily destroy the truck stop. How? Oh, by driving into it, which they eventually do. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Maximum Overdrive is the worst in Stephen King. He's also a character in the movie and had a lot to do with the movie as well. I've seen worse. Okay, that's my least favorite. You put that below Lawnmower Man? I had to. No, you did I'm sorry. What do you think, Nicole? Uh, time to get the finger boop. Lawnmower Man is the yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The short story was even ridiculous because... I'm just going to go spoiler on the lawnmower man. Go ahead. Three, two, one. So the guy that hires the lawnmower man in this short story, he looks outside and he sees him. And so basically the fawn kills him. Mm-hmm. That's it. So oh. the, his story doesn't go on. Yeah. Lame. It's stupid. Uh, but, but it's creepy. <sighs> Because the dude's cre- crawling behind a lawnmower. And you're not talking about someone. Mm. You're talking about a fawn. This guy is grossly overweight. He hasn't showered for, for a few few weeks. He's just, yeah. He's eating gross. grass. He should be, he, you know, yeah, doing he, well. You'd think he, he would, but he's not. But, oh, my gosh. That that movie's, movie's just, so bad. It's I mean, so bad. even it's even even if it wasn't an adaptation, it's a bad movie overall. Oh, my gosh. It's so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finger boop. Finger boop. <laughs> Wow. All right. So that before, was very negative. It was. Now, before we get into the positive, though, 
a couple of awards to give out. For example, we have for me the Childhood Nightmare Award goes to Maximum Overdrive. Why? I had nightmares about this movie because the machines turn on people. A guy gets electrocuted by a, a video game. This turkey carver attacks a woman. There's the trucks that are just killing a ton of people the whole time. <laughs> and I really, there's a part when they're trying to get away and this uh, drive through microphone narks out like narks him out <laughs> yeah and all like humans here humans here and they get busted and have to hide again and it was so terrifying to me as a kid i got so scared so scared from this movie of all the moments <laughs> they all float down here that got me too but this was one that we, we watched this a lot as kids okay and it did scare me so that's my award for that i will i'll honor your award by saying the one that creeped me out was children of the corn ah uh, yeah i get that yeah definitely more scary than maximum overdrive well, what's his name Jedediah, whatever he says when he comes out of the corner. I mean, because, yeah, because they're kids and you're just like, um, I don't like how these kids are. Yeah. <laughs> so I had an award for scared me the most as a child. So basically the same thing, uh -huh. but it's Zelda from Pet Cemetery. Ooh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And if people are listening and they, they remember this, because there are plenty of moments from these kind of bad adaptations that are scary. This one got me most. And I remember I'm watching it. I'm at a scout camp and we're at Strawberry Reservoir. And you're and, watching Pet Cemetery. And, and all the leaders left. And so we turn on cable. Oh my gosh. And, you know, we're like... Oh, it was cable. So. We're 11. Yeah. And uh, no, cable was Paid not... Paid cable? Yeah. It was oh. not edited at that time. And we start watching Pet Cemetery, and we were like, yes, this is awesome. We're getting away with so much. <laughs> and then I regretted everything because there's only a two-minute segment but the main character, Rachel, she talks about her sister, Zelda, who had spinal meningitis. But in this movie, they make her, but it's played by an older man, yeah. to be a monster. Yes. And it scared her as a kid. And so in her yeah, and, telling and, of the story... And as a, a kid, she's like, look, I, I let my sister die. I didn't want to feed her anymore. Spoiler and alert. as an adult... <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. As an adult comes back to at least haunt her memories. Mm -hmm. And oh, it is so horrifying. When she approaches the camera... It's like, I'm going to twist your back, Rachel. I was yeah. like, oh, stop it. And <laughs> I regretted it. And I never watched a movie like that ever again. Oh, liar. Uh -huh, mm -hmm. Sure. Yep. <laughs> uh, I'll just go throw this out there. My overrated award. Just you know, overrated award. I'm giving it to The Shining. Uh, the Over, movie. Overrated? The movie. Yeah, the overrated. Because people put this up there as like, the scariest movie of all time. It's pretty messed up. The best horror movie of all time. The performance by Jack Nicholson is amazing. And I'm like, I liked it. I think it. he's performing, though. I think that's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> you might be right. Don't, listener, don't get me wrong. I like it. I, I think it did effectively you, you scare me. You've done that in your best Jack the, Nicholson. The dog, I the dog bear, <laughs> the dog bear. But that's there's there's definite moments in there that terrify me. But the blood I elevator, have, the that, twins, yeah, and there's the iconic moments. Yeah, definite. I am not bashing on this movie. I'm just saying everyone props it up as so 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 scary. Well, because it's Kubrick doing a horror movie, but right? Stephen King didn't like it either. Well, he's Stephen wrong. Stephen King hated this adaptation so much that he made a three episode horror miniseries in 1997 starring Stephen Webber from Wings. Yes. And let me tell you, I actually enjoy that version better than that's what I was going to say. This is controversy because it's more like the book. Yeah. Oh, wait, so, so the book it, is that boring? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay. Like, what, is, it, is it that a good thing? No. I mean, well, the, the one part that I liked about the book that they put into the, the miniseries was the croquet mallet when he, Instead, of, okay, spoiler. 
So in Jack Nicholson, he goes after his wife with axe, right? Right. In the book and the miniseries, he goes after her with a croquet mallet. And in the book, it's so graphic because he's talking about hitting her with a croquet mallet. It's, it's yeah, but piercing we get, we get, her. We get, 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 Jeez. And they actually put that in the miniseries. I'm like, this is good. I like it. And the coast course the topiaries. I like that too. Yeah. I like the maze better. So that was my overrated award. Not that it not that it's not a good movie, but just like uh, I remember I was let down when I when I saw it. I did see it later in life, but the most disturbing moment in a Stephen King oh, movie no. is from Misery. And we've talked about this. It's the sledgehammer ah. scene. Yep. Yes. Because you see it, you hear it. Yep. Oh god. You but hear it. Having watched it again. It is amazing how much they don't show. Like it could it's have been, like it, it, lets it could have been mind. much more graphic. I've yeah. seen much more graphic yeah. stuff in Stephen but King movies. But when you anticipate that coming the second time around, too, it's so scary. Because the whole movie is is tension, right? And yeah. he's yeah. almost getting away, and then kind of getting caught, and trying to kiss up and make good. And then that moment happens. You're like, oh, what's what's her name? Kathy Bates. Yeah, Kathy yeah. Bates. Annie yeah. Wilkes, oh. the character. Annie, yeah. yeah, she's my number one fan. Oh, can, I, can I go off of, off of Misery? I, I would say she is my number one villain in all of Stephen King because she's fantastic. she is so real. Yeah. Because you know this person. Oh, they're super sweet. But on the inside, you're like, you're nuts. She's a cockadoody crazy. But uh, see, that's why I think she is so terrifying. I think she is the number one villain in. All of his, his books because she is so real. Uh, played very well by Lizzie Kaplan in Castle Rock, by the way. Oh, oh really? Yeah, I, haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Castle Rock yet. That's on my my to do list. But that's why I give her. I'll give her my my favorite villain. My next award is for Overlooked Hotel Adaptation Award. <laughs> Stop it! And it's fourteen oh eight. Oh my goodness! Fourteen oh eight is one of those I feel like people kind of glance over because it's actually pretty effective. It, psychological horror, not yeah. not perfect, not great. I might say, but it's. It's a good thriller, and it did mess with my head to the point where I was like, I don't know, it's real anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, fortunately, it was mine. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. I saw this one in the theater. Yay! Zach's on the show. Zach's here. My next award is for the worst Stephen King ending, and this is going back to books, and there are so many bad endings, and I'm about to spoil Under the Dome. Oh, they did a TV series of that, didn't they? Yes, they did. So five, six, seven, eight. So the story, the book of Under the Dome, is one of his longest books. The book is so full of rich characters, and I love like one percenters? It. It one percenters, all of them. <laughs> but the story is basically there's a small town, basically a main town, and then all of a sudden, a dome, foomp, clear dome, is placed on the town. So basically it's... Uh, Isn't this the plot of the Simpsons movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes, precisely. Anyways, they, the, the town starts going crazy. The air is getting really bad. Nothing can escape this dome. And it, it's great. And there's intrigue here. And it's not horrifying, but it's all about uh, paranoia. And it was written definitely during the, the 2000s and in whatever was happening at that 2009. time. Yeah. Basically, at the end of the book, once again, I'm going to spoil this. The book. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a telepath uh, at the end of the book. In Joel, a Stephen be, King novel? You'd be surprised to find out. What? And the telepath finds out that what's behind this dome are aliens called leatherheads. And aliens, uh, it's alien teens that were peer pressuring each other and they were playing a prank on humans and they placed this dome over a town just to see what would happen. And that's the reason for the dome. And basically the telepath says, hey, but I had a bad childhood. And the, this alien girl was like, okay, I'll lift the dome. And that's what happens at the end of the book. Under the Dome oh. is the third largest book 
And it's so, an amazing story until the very end. Did you watch the adaptation? They, I they, made it two episodes, and that's mm, it. Okay. Because I, I was so mad. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dovetail on that then. I have here the I Could Have Written a Better Ending Award, mm-hmm. and this goes to Storm of the Century. Oh, I've never seen it. 1999. Oh. This, this was a miniseries. Uh, it was good until the end. So that's just it. So the whole point, I'm going to read mm-hmm. the synopsis here. A dangerous blizzard hits an isolated town and brings along a mysterious stranger intent on terrorizing people for his own desires. Small town, stranger coming in, bad things happen. Yeah. So this guy is kind of exposing these people's secrets and using it to blackmail them. And he gets more and more nefarious. And then he gets to the ending. And I'm not going to spoil it because you haven't seen it directly here on the show. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this, is that I got to the end. You can spoil it. I'm probably not going to watch it. I I got to the end and I went, that was a terrible ending. And right then, talking there with my, I think it was my brothers, we came up with a better ending where uh, essentially this guy is using everyone's secrets against them. And we were like, and he wants this big sacrifice at the end. And they give it to him in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But we had this whole thing where it was like, if they just start confessing their sins, they're going to take away his power. He has no power over them. He cannot get what he wants, and they win, even though they have to expose their their secrets and their sins. Okay. And it just worked out so much better in our version, because their version, it just goes this route where you're like, well, that was a dumb ending. That's too bad. So Storm Typical, of the though. Yeah. It was actually really good up to that point, mm-hmm. and then that just killed it. Because the villain yeah. in that one's really good. He is. He is. He's, he's truly terrifying. Yeah. All right, just because I need to take it back to the writing, uh, the best short story is called N, like the letter N. <gasps> I do like that one. I forgot and I would recommend this to anyone I've listening right now. I've seen the movie right M. The yeah, definitely M. not M. Yeah. Uh, so N is a 54-page novella, and this is in the 2008 short story collection called Just After Sunset, but you can find N on its own, probably online somewhere. And basically it details a psychiatrist notes about his patient, who he just puts N instead of naming him, and this patient felt he was the guardian of this portal it's kind of a Lovecraftian story, a uh, portal where if he didn't rely on his OCD, basically, and I don't want to get too much into it, but he looked for patterns. And if patterns were off, this uh, giant elder god basically would destroy the planet. And so this patient kind of takes it upon himself you know to be the guardian. I talked about before about Stephen King just building that out to the point of bizarre. Uh, totally. But yeah. this works because it's a short story. Okay. If he made this an 800 page book, garbage Fair. most likely but it is creepy and it makes you feel like you have ocd along with the characters okay 54 pages this is palatable all right and then my final award goes to didn't like it the first time i saw it award and that goes to the green mile really? so the first time i saw the green mile i was kind of put off Same. on it because it starts out this just straightforward kind of uh, police drama or not police drama prison drama mm-hmm. but then it has a supernatural element and then it has an ending that just guts you and i got to the end and i was like i don't I didn't like that. On subsequent watches, though, I'm like, this is actually a really good movie. It's emotional. Yeah, sure. very emotional. Yeah. That's what it's so effective at. John Coffey is my boss. second favorite character. Of- John Coffey's great. I love John Coffey. Uh, if you don't know, by the way, Green Mile, uh, the lives of guards on death row are affected by one of their charges, a black man accused of child murder who has a mysterious gift. Again, um, one of the worst villains comes from Green Mile. Yeah. Uh, the, the warden, um, Percy Whatmore. Oh my gosh, can you get well, more? Also, <sighs> Wild Bill, uh, mm-hmm. but well, your buddy there, what's his name? Wild Bill's from Moon, Sam Rockwell. Yeah, oh, he's, he's horrible despicable. in that movie. Well, he is. My buddy. But the thing is, with Wild Bill, he is in prison. Yeah. The wardens, you're like, these are the people that are supposed to. What he yeah. does. He's is, kind of awful in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My last award is uh, Stephen King's best creature slash creation, and it's Pennywise. Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Granted, he's whoa, whoa, come whoa, up. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you're putting this in your words, it means it's not in your top five. Maybe not. 
Sorry. Okay. But fine. Pennywise is clowns were already scary. <laughs> and were he, they though? Yes. No, because I feel like the kids who grew up in that generation, the kids who watched it when they were in their, you know, uh, 10 year old age. That was us. That was us. That they became afraid of clowns. Whereas my wife never saw it. She doesn't have a fear of clowns. And then she watched it and she wasn't scared of it. I was not scared of it. I was scared of the clown and polder guys. Also scary. That's that's when I got. So the 1980s are what made us afraid of clowns. Yes. Oh, still. (laughs) So horrible. I think it's a great choice, though. And Tim Curry. Ah. Oh, yeah. You prefer the Tim Curry to the Bill Skarsgård? He, well, that's because that's my original nightmare. Mm-hmm. But Bill Skarsgård does a good job. I think okay. he did a great job. Well, when I first saw the costume to Skarsgård, I'm like, Ruffles, are you kidding me? He has Ruffles. How am I supposed to be scared of Ruffles? But when he's waving that arm. Oh, ah. yeah. He's like, hi. Yeah, don't explain it, Nicole. We're good. Yeah, <laughs> right. Let's uh, let's let's continue some of the positive things that have been happening. Going with your top five Stephen King movies, uh, we'll start with you, Joel. Okay, my number five is actually Pet Cemetery. We've already talked about this. The original Which one, the original one, nineteen eighty nine. I haven't seen the remake with Fred Gwynn. Oh. Uh, yes, Herman Munster. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love him. <laughs> this one, if you don't know the uh, synopsis, after tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. Uh, this is rated R, but it is on Bad Angel and Clear Play. And Stephen King did write the screenplay for this one, so he was involved. But this was one where the first time I saw it, my heart was absolutely broken. Mm-hmm. At Scout Camp, remember? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was at your Scout Camp. My heart was broken, and then I got really scared. Like, it, it had this whole thing of emotions where I was like... It deals with grief. It's so much. I and can it, tell you, for the longest, for like two years, I could not go close to being underneath the bed i'd have to jump over it yes. <laughs> uh, but he was uh, king was very uh, involved with the filming process he worked with the, the director mary lambert like very close with her and the only weird th- i mean there's a couple weird things about this movie but it, it is so effective in horror basically you bury uh, something that has died or someone that has died and it comes back to life, but it doesn't come back the same. And that's mm-hmm. why it's terrifying. Nothing ever comes back the same. Yeah. The soil <laughs> of a man's heart is stonier. Uh, but then the Ramones yeah. decided to it. do uh, the song Pet Cemetery, which I like that song. But when it plays over the end doesn't credits of this movie, fit. it does not fit. It's a whole 80s thing, though. It's, yes. It's kind of like Bollywood. You're like, let's like some dog Mariana. Like, this is the saddest story Okay, let's all get up and dance. I love <laughs> that movie. So yes, Pet Cemetery is my number five. It is made. It is directly influenced. Uh, one of my first houses I lived in was on, uh, on a busy road as, as a married uh, guy with kids. Yeah, it was on this busy road, and the whole time, yeah, careful kids. When when the semi trucks would drive by, I would freak out and be like, "Ah, where are the kids?" Oh, so there you go, Kent. Fourteen oh eight. Hey. So a man who specializes in debunking paranormal occurrences checks into the fabled room 1408 in the Dolphin Hotel. So this is a movie that gets better each time I watch it. And you wouldn't think so. But it's it's an aggravating movie where this guy seemingly just can't win. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to leave it there. But John Cusack, well past the prime of his career, it it does amazing in this Uh, one. Yeah. Okay. There's one part where I actually teared up big time. I was just like, I am getting extremely emotional right now. And and that's, I think good writing (laughs) brings you into the mind of the character and the mind of the character is feeling uh, extreme happiness, Mm -hmm. extreme sadness, frustration, horror. It's a better hotel scene than Inception, right, Kent? Nope, that is not true. (laughs) But yeah, 1408 is my fifth favorite. Okay. Uh, My fifth favorite would be Carrie. 
No, the, okay. the original? The original was Sissy Spacek. Yes. I think, well, that she was perfect for that role. And her mother is one of those ones who are just like... Mm, I don't know, Nicole, by bringing that up, they're all going to laugh at you! <laughs> I honestly think it's one of the best adaptations. I, I mean, you feel for her, and you're just like, when she gets her revenge, you're kind of happy and terrified at the same time. All right, Joel, number four. My number four is It. The, I included both the 1990 version and the 2017 version. I have not seen part two yet because I was saving it for this. Yeah, are you saying It Chapter 1 on both sides? Well, the thing about It, the original It, the 1990 miniseries, it was two episodes. It was set in 1960. In the remake, it's set in 1989, and I was perfectly fine with that. Yeah. I think both adaptations are adequate because what I think this really did well, and you said this, Kent, this introduced us to the world of Stephen King. Mm-hmm. It was a, I wouldn't say family friendly because it's it's kind of horrific. Yeah. But it was it was a TV PG. <laughs> it literally says TV PG adaptation of a Stephen King novel and made us go, whoa, who's this guy? He's really scary. I want to know more about him. Yeah. You relate to this summer with these kids. Yeah. And uh, this was it cost $12 million to make the 1991, which was double the price of normal TV movies at the time. Uh, Tim Curry, absolutely terrifying as Pennywise. Just perfectly horrific. This uh, was kind of a King Renaissance because he kind of had a bunch of adaptations and kind of died out. This came back and this TV movie was like one of ABC's biggest hits. Uh, They had 30 million viewers, I think, uh, throughout the the, two parts. And then they started adapting other stuff after that again. Nightmares. It. uh, My number four favorite adaptation. Kent? My number four is The Shining. I think it's a horror classic. I don't think it's overrated whatsoever. It's it's not as scary as people say it is, but it just it sticks with you. It has its moments. It sticks it's creepy. It's right tense. There. It's confusing. Yeah, yes. and like, Jack in Nicholson, an off-putting way. It, oh, off-putting. Like it, like. Well, I think it's kind of meant to be. Yeah, it, it keeps you off balance and in a good way. And it's kind of a sad story too, because yeah. you want this, you want everything to work out, and this dad takes this job at this abandoned hotel in the middle of winter, and things go downhill from there. But you're like. Can't this family just like live in peace? Would you take a job like that, Kent? Take no. care of a hotel through the winter? I'm way too much of a scaredy cat. <laughs> so much. And uh, Unless I had a big wheel and I was going through the hallways. Nope. Nope. I'm good. Yeah. Big wheel. <laughs> Nicole? <laughs> that kind of sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what are number we on? four? Uh, number, number four. four. <laughs> the mist. <laughs> yeah. I like it because it's straight and to the point and the psychological way of how people act in a situation. Is, that's what's terrifying totally. to me. It's just like, because you always know there's that one person that's going to overreact. And you're just like, can we just feed them to the wolves literally right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, then there's always the know-it-all. Yeah. And of course, you always feel like they are the ones that only have to be listened to. And you're, It's just the whole situation. Like like you said, like the dawn of the dead. And you're like, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen here? Like. Uh, like like 30 days a night when I was talking about what would you do in this situation? That's the whole thing is like, which character would I be? Oh, yeah. I'd just be taking Which would be own. logical, emotional, yeah. religious. And in if it weren't case, for the gag ending, it probably would have ranked higher for me. Yeah, I would. Right in the middle. I would just get the Oreos and be like, you guys go and figure it out. Joel, what's your number three? My number three is Misery. All right. Uh, so this one, like we said, an author is it gets in a car crash. He's nursed back to health by this woman, his number one fan. And uh, this one is directed by Rob Reiner, who to that point had done like Spinal Tap, yeah. and I think maybe. And he's the one, he also did Princess Bride. And when, uh, when Harry Met Sally, A Few Good Men. Like he has really good movies he's done. This one, 
surprisingly clean. Like uh, the clear play is not going to cut out very much on this because it really is just one brief instance of strong language. And then the rest of it's just kind of. It's also an Academy Award winning. Yes, it is. It is the only film based on a Stephen King novel to win an Oscar. And that was Kathy Bates who won uh, Best Actress. Oh, well deserved. For her portrayal as Annie Wilkes. I don't think she'll ever live that down, though. It's such a mesmerizing performance, and and the movie is so well done, and it's so simple, too. I really enjoyed this one, and I thought, I think that, and it's funny, too, because they they were trying to get a big star attached to this. So they they actually offered the role to William Hurt twice. Really? Okay. Uh, Then Kevin Kline, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Richard Dreyfuss, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford. Warren Beatty was attached to the role. But then he uh, wanted a bigger, like he want, he didn't want his character to be so passive and he ended up doing Dick Tracy. And then for Annie mm. Wilkes, it was going to be Angelica Houston or Bette Midler who were offered the role. Huh. Um, it worked out. But it was the writer, William Goldman, who said, uh, Kathy Bates, this unknown actress, let's go with her. Wow. And good on him because Misery is horrifically awesome. What I yeah. find ironic is that this was written in 87 and almost the exact same thing happened in 99 when he got hit by the car. You're just oh. like, what if he went off into, cause he got hit Yeah, and he's off to decide to rub with someone Nurse else found him. That's number one fan. Yeah. <laughs> Kent, your number three, Dr. Sleep. Wow. Ah. This is the sequel to the shining, which he wrote uh, 35 years after the shining. Mm-hmm. So it's a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult who preys on children with powers to remain immortal. I haven't seen the movie. Basically, these are like shine vampires. This movie doesn't feel like The Shining. It feels more like a uh, kind of a road trip adventure uh, against uh, vampires. It's Hugh McGregor. Hugh McGregor. And the movie is great. I expected nothing going in. This came out two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And it is actually great. There's a two and a half. I think it's two and a half hours. So it's a long movie. Or there's a three hour director's cut, which is better. <laughs> but uh, I devour this movie. I like it better than The Shining, actually. Wow. Because I haven't seen the movie, but the book took it. it the was book one, was boring. Yes. The movie's better than the book. So how was, what's her name? The Hat? Amazing. She's good. It's Rebecca Ferguson who plays Rose the Hat. Oh, and she's amazing. Rose the Hat. There you go. I Thank thought you. she was Blaine the Train. <laughs> Blaine the Train, yeah, who's a real go. big pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, let's see. My number three has already been mentioned, 1408. I love that every single one of my emotions were played in that. Mm-hmm. And the only gore that you see in it is in photos, mm-hmm. black and white photos. That's a PG-13 one. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's basically John Cusack. Samuel L. Jackson's in it, but for a very brief moment. And having John Cusack just play as one person in this interactive room is... I thought he did a great job myself. So <laughs> so good. And Joel, number two. My number two favorite Stephen King adaptation is Stand By Me, 1986. So the, the novella, The Body, uh, was, was one of the four stories in different seasons. So it's just based on that. He didn't have a lot to do it. Once again, directed by Rob Reiner. So huh, okay. I have these two Rob Reiners in a row. Uh, this one is rated R for lots of language, yeah. but that's about it. Is that doesn't have any like um, sassy stuff or, or any real Bloated major violence? Bodies? Well, but I mean, no like on screen yeah. stuff. Yeah. But the whole point of this movie is this, this group of friends hears about this, this kid around their age who got hit by a train. And so they go set out to find the body and to be the, the heroes to find it and let the police know about it. Yeah. And it's just, but it's this kind of um, road trip movie, but not without a car. What do you call it's that? It's kind of like a coming of age coming story. Coming of age, yeah. But this. I watched this so many times as a kid and it greatly affected me. Like the part, uh, kind of spoiler alert, I guess, where they find the body, 
was one of the most emotional parts I've had as a kid. Like yeah. It was just one of those defining emotional moments. Well, probably because when you saw it, you were almost the same age as those kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and this so reminded me of me and my you know? friends would go hiking in the forest behind our house all the time. And I had this very strong connection to this because we had the one who was the friend who was a little more rambunctious, the one that was kind of the father figure. Right. Like I, I had these friends. And granted, I had a much better upbringing than most of the kids in these movies. <laughs> and no bodies in the woods. My parents yeah. loved me. But it was like the whole, the whole point of this, <laughs> this whole point <laughs> of thing <laughs> is like, you know, they're so they're excited to go on this adventure and, and they kind of forget what the purpose is. And when they finally see the body and they realize kind of the reality of it all, the world kind of comes crashing down. Mm-hmm. And it was the same for me watching the movie as a kid. Um, and Stephen King has said um, that he said this to be the first successful transition uh, to film of any of his works. And in fact, after he watched it, he excused himself. Uh, he watched a screener and he excused himself for like 15 minutes and composed himself and came back and said, that's the best film ever made out of everything I've written up to that point. Mm. Um, he said, you captured my story. And I love that he was able to do that. Uh, by the way, they changed the name because they said the body sounded like a, a like a bodybuilding movie or like yeah. a sussy movie. And so they were like, well, or, it gives or it away like a Stephen well. King horror movie. Yes. And it's not. But Stand By Me, if you didn't know, uh, Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connor, Kiefer Sutherland, like good cast here, mm-hmm. but it's actually a Stephen King yeah. adaptation. All the tiger beats from this. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Jerry O'Connell at the time. It took yeah. him a while. <laughs> Kent, he made it. The Mist. The Mist. I freaking love The Mist. I bet you do. Unabashed love you do. for The Mist. And the ending just hits it out of the uh, park. Don't it like becomes him. a great B science fiction movie with a little bit of blood and guts. And, and this thriller, this paranoid thriller that becomes unforgettable. And in Joel's mind, a horrible Yes. Knock the wind out of you ending. But for me, it's something that I'm like, why would you do that to my heart? Uh huh. I'm so proud of you, movie. Because <laughs> it's directed by Frank Darabont, who's done other great Stephen Walking King stuff. Dead, he was the creator of that. And, and honestly, and I own this movie, and watching it in black and white also feels cool because it gives you a Twilight Zone vibe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I and I, like honestly, the creatures look better in black and white. Yeah, 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 look in, in but it, I love this movie. And Joel and I argue about it all the time. Yeah. But I, I've probably seen it five, six times. Because it was a shorter it movie, too. So, yeah. isn't it? It's I, just fun. I, Okay. Fun. It's fun. Fun. Is it fun to get kicked in the crotch, Kent? <laughs> in the emotional crotch? Look, there's like killer spiders. In, hold on. What did you just say? Nothing. <laughs> hold on. Emotional we need to stall crotch. there for a second. That should be the day of the title. Family friendly. <laughs> All right, Nicole, what do you got? My number two's already been mentioned, and it's misery. Oh, yeah. yes. Sorry, we keep stealing yours. Oh, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Well, if we know. all agree that it's in the top five, that, that speaks I, to I, I didn't put it yeah. in the top five. You didn't? Nope. Wow. I love it. I love it. Wow. That's I just think that, mm-hmm. that Annie, like I said, Annie Wilkes is just so relatable, and that's what's scary to me, is just like, oh, she just looks like my next-door neighbor. Yeah. Oh, not oh. relatable for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, good. I understand where she's coming from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Watch out, Fanex folks. I, I do work for the post office. We do go That's crazy. <laughs> all right, so Joel, good. what is your number one? What, been, what is our number one? Are we all picking the same one? No, Nicole. Mine's already been mentioned. Oh. oh. So is ours. Huh? Well, kind of mentioned. Uh, my number one is the Shawshank it's Redemption. It's the Shawshank Redemption. That is a good one. I, oh, okay. Oh, it's not yours. Oh, it's not hers. Wow. The it's Shawshank not. Redemption, if you don't know what it is, two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. This is one of those Slumdog Millionaire kind of movies where it puts your emotions through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Like you are just, you, you are devastated at parts. A lot of it's grim. 
but then it gives you hope. It keeps giving you these glimmers of hope. And so you go through the ringer, but you come out on the other end clean and just feeling hopeful. Yeah. And I like how you put that together. Little reference to the movie there. Uh, and this stars Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman. And I, I thought everyone had seen this movie. I thought everyone had. On TNT at least. My wife has not seen this movie. Well, hold on. What? Zach? I still haven't seen it. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. You're the third person I've met since doing the research for the You're show. But I mean, Shawshank Redemption has had like so. I mean, Family Guy did a whole thing on it. The Simpsons did it. Robot Chicken. Everyone. So you basically know the whole story of it. But but I don't want to spoil the performances. It here, the script is so good mm-hmm. because this this is one of those movies that I feel like everyone should watch at least once a year. Um, really? Because it's so it's once one of those, a year. It's one of those soul cleansing movies where you get to the end because I love when good things happen to people in movies like. People that deserve good things to happen mm-hmm. to them, good things happen. Now, a lot of bad happens. Definitely. A lot of bad happens. But when the good things happen, I just feel so good. Like, there's a, a scene pretty early in the beginning. This guy is is put in prison for a murder that he didn't commit. And so he just feels out of place there. And he does not fit in. And then when he finds a way to fit in, it is one of my favorite moments in cinema. Mm-hmm. And That's- the way this is filmed... So well done where all the camera shots are very claustrophobic and you see basically walls the whole time. And every time you get a glimpse outside the prison, which is rare, it's like this, oh, I feel so relieved yeah. when you see it. Whenever I think of Tim Robbins, that's exactly where I go to. As you should. A- uh, speaking of uh, that, by the way, uh, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, and Kevin Costner were offered uh, the main role but passed on it. Wow, okay. Uh, Tom Cruise actually attended table readings of the script, but he didn't want to work for the inexperienced director, Frank uh, Darabont. So. Oh, and he made a masterpiece. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. As as much as I love that, my number one uh, adaptation, uh, we've already talked about it, was Pet Cemetery. Oh, okay. Because that's one that I watched over and over and over again when I was younger. And that's Scout Camp. I know. Yeah. It's Scout Camp. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I should give a spoiler, but here's a little fact about the movie. It is the very last movie to ever show a kid being killed. In the U.S. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, huh? So it's Everything very else there been had to have been other. no. Yeah, it, it, implied. There's since movies then. that have applied it, but never showed it. Hmm. Yeah, you don't see Anakin taking kids out with the. But you, well, the, director, the director's cut. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you no, see the director's cut. <laughs> like, a, like a droid walks in front as it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 one of the, I don't know. I, it's one of those movies that always stuck with me, and then when I read the book. It was very similar. And okay. I, I, hey, that made my top five. I'm gonna. I'm fine with I, that. Oh, Shawshank is is amazing. But Shawshank didn't even make your top five. No, I love it, but it's one of those ones. It's like. Oh, and yeah. a Dufresne. <laughs> uh, but I do feel like I'm a good company though, because in 2016, Stephen King said his uh, Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me were his two favorite adaptations of his work. Yeah. And those are my number one. But number like two. Zach said, uh, Bad Opinion by Stephen King. But at least I feel like I'm in good company because this is about him. This episode's about him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a tribute show. Okay, yeah. fine. Oh, man. So there you go. There's our top five adaptations. We hope that you... We uh, hope you're able to follow us. Yes. <laughs> we try to keep it as simple as possible. I'm we try. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Nicole, for being here. We appreciate well, you, you uh, bring, bringing us, uh, tipping the scales a little bit into the Halloween direction. Oh, my gosh. I could have just taken two hours to talk about Dark Tower. <laughs> and we did. And we did. Uh, you can see it on the, on the uncut version that we have at <laughs> patreon.com slash Baconsville, or at least the uncut version where we, you can hear all sorts of conversations that didn't make it to this cut. Oops. <laughs> but uh, let us know if you're a fan of Stephen King, uh, what your favorite adaptations are, what your favorite books are. And if you're not, if this piqued your interest and in that you may be checking out some of his movies or his books, let us know on Facebook. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know on Instagram. We'd like to hear from you. 
Nicole, anyone you want to give a shout out to or anything you want to plug? If you want to talk Stephen King, I'm always open. So uh, just Google Beatles Diva and that's me. Beatles Diva. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bow down to Beatles Diva. Wow. I remember right. that. I remember that song. <laughs> but before we go, we'd like to give some love to our patrons, including Shannon West, Sean Sanquist, Rocky and Steph. Hey. hey. Plot Twist Media, Lady Terry A. Finley, Jennifer Kukowski, Glow Clint Daniel, Chris Strout, Brayden Winterton, Bacon Council Member Wannabe Kyler, <laughs> Babs, Allison Gall, Alicia Bass, and Adam and Rachel Crump. We also have the Bacon Council, which includes The Shadow, Stephen Ross, Ryan and Marley Farron, our favorite couple of Madsons, Nick Knack 40 Wax. Hey, hey that's it's me. you. Hey. Matt's, Chris Anderson, Harrell Highness Jessica Terry, and Reverse Listener. Thank you so much, patrons. We really do appreciate it. Love you, it. patrons. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah. But if Love you want to, you. But if you want to find me, you can find me at 76 Joel. You can find me performing with QuickFits. They perform every Saturday night at the Midville Performing Arts Center. For more details, go to QWCommon.com or go to the QuickFits page. If you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Kenny3DD. If you want to read my movie reviews, it's ShowtimeShowdown.com. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at TumblingMustard. But more importantly, make sure you're following Bacon Sale on social media so you can play along with the Stephen King fun. That Go ahead and like that Facebook page and then stop by at Bacon Sale on Twitter and Instagram. While you're doing that, go to tpublic.com slash bacon sale where you can get yourself a shirt, please. We'd love for you to be a billboard. Go for it. And if you like what's going on here and you want to support the show further, go to patreon.com slash bacon sale. You can get fun extra content, including, like Joel already mentioned, the uncut version of this show, mm -hmm. which was a journey. And we'd <laughs> love, we would love to share that journey hey, with look, you. Hey, look, Zach's here. Hey, <laughs> Zach! Patreon.com slash bacon sale. So until next time, Thank you, listener. We're your number one fan. And Joy. I apologize in advance if I get a little excited. It might be a little gory. Novara Cadaver. Hey! There's a lady in the room. Oh, Never read a book in <laughs> my Which life. Book? But then in my 20s, I'm like, I want the nightmares. And this psychic has a connection to a giant sea turtle that's holding up the entire earth. And I'm like, wait, okay, hold on. What's and Cujo was his name. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> pants people at classic skating. A lot of torn flesh, I guess you could say. Wow. <laughs> Getting right into it. He could have just said murder. So <laughs> does Blaine the Train mainly stay on the plane? I'm just over here waiting to see and yeah. make this uh, relevant for everyone. Oh, Go on, I Nicole. Will. I'm still waiting. In the, in the dark. Zach, are you following along? <laughs> Not even a little bit. <laughs> What happened to the children? This is where it gets complicated. This is where the, the This the is where it gets complicated. <laughs> You're talking about <laughs> the riddle train. Laying the train and a bear holding a beam. Dr. Doom with this golden snitch. <laughs> you just took a train that was asking you riddles. How many demons arrived in your town? Philosophical? Philosophical? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. I like philosophical. And it's a short book. It's maybe 400 pages. Short for Stephen King. Short, short. Let's get negative. All right. <laughs> there are these meatballs from space. But when you're stuck in between time, these space meatballs, they want to yes. chew you up. Here's Sub-Zero. <laughs> now Plane Zero. <laughs> you guys know the Goonies? Yeah. He directed the making of the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> Zach got it. Hey, Zach. Zach's here. Zach's here. Zach's here. Hey, Zach. <laughs> missed you. I want my cake. <laughs> Zach's back in the show. I love the show. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the, Stephen King. The synopsis. Nerdish boy. Car? It's a possessed I love car. It. But you don't survive the toilet. It's super tacky. Been there. 
it coat. shoots out sodas at their heads. And it, yes, this is awesome. We're getting away with so much. We get it. The eyeball popped out in the mosh pit. We get it. Yeah. Hey guys, I saw this one in the theater. Yay! Zach's on the show. Zach's here. Yeah. There are these people out there, Crazy unfortunately, fans. that Number just take fans. it all too far, as we know what with bacon sale. <laughs> whoa, 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 How am I supposed to be scared of Ruffles? But when he, oh, where are the kids? I've said very little. Why would you do that to my heart? That's I'm so I'm proud of you, movie. Fun. It's fun. Fun. Is it fun to get kicked oh, in the crotch, Kent? <laughs> <laughs> in the emotional crotch? Look. Get out of the weeds, nerds. 